Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Manconi. The news is big business here in Taiwan, with seven 24-hour news stations and more than 2,000 newspapers. We're definitely doing okay on the quantity front, but with frequent stories about cute internet videos and dash cam shots of traffic accidents making up a lot of the coverage, the quality and the substance of all this reporting often leaves something to be desired. Well, today on the show, we're going to be speaking to freelance journalist and frequent ICRT contributor Jane Rickards, who took a deep dive into Taiwan's media industry to help explain why it is the way it is, you know, to take a hard look at what's going right, what's going wrong, the good, the bad, and the ugly. She wrote all about what she found in a recent article titled Taiwan's Changing Media Landscape uh, for the March edition of Taiwan Business Topics magazine, which is put out by the American Chamber of Commerce in Taipei. I got her in studio to tell us what she came up with. Jane, thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Keith. So you are a freelancer here in Taiwan. You're covering a lot of stuff. uh, And this report was released on behalf of the American Chamber of Commerce uh, but the thoughts there are your own. We should be clear about that. That's right. Yeah. So we're getting uh, Jane Ricard's unbridled opinions today. Nobody but Jane Ricard's. Uh, and before we even get into you know what this whole article was about, what you found, tell us a little bit about how uh, it was made. I mean, wh- who were you looking for uh, as you were trying to get a sense of what media looks like in Taiwan? Who were you trying to talk to? Who were you trying to uh, understand? Well, Keith, I was trying to get a broad range of opinions I spoke to a a wide range of people. I spoke to journalism academics. I spoke to a journalism academic from the London School of Oriental and African Studies. I also spoke to a journalism academic based in Taiwan. Mm. Um, I also spoke to public relations people. And actually, that turned out to be, for me as a journalist, that was the most interesting thing because they they understood the media very well, but they were coming at it from the point of view of consumers. Right. They're on the other team almost. Yes, yes, and that was really interesting. Mm. And I spoke to journalists, and in particular I was interested about new online media, so I spoke to the CEO of Newslands, and I also spoke Mm -hmm. to the CEO of Storm Media. All right, so getting a a bird's-eye view, very broad picture of the whole scene. Now, your article kind of starts off by setting up a a pretty interesting conundrum. On the one hand, uh, Taiwan is frequently rated as one of the most free... Uh, journalism environments in the whole world, uh, the strongest by many estimations in Asia. Uh, But then on the other hand, despite all that freedom, the quality of much of the reporting and journalistic work that we see uh, is just not where we would hope it would be. It's uh, quite poor in some instances. But before we get to that, let's let's start with the freedom end of things. Uh, What is the freedom case here? What is the case for uh, the freeness of Taiwan's media? Yes. Well, um, I can actually give you updated figures which have emerged since I wrote the story. Um, Mm. Reporters Without Borders for 2016 rates Taiwan's media as Asia's freest. Mm -hmm. Um, It ranks at number 51 in the world among 180 nations. And in comparison, Mongolia is at 54. South Korea is at 70 and Japan is at 72. Mm. And China's, of course, is one of the most repressive regimes in the world at 176. Mm. Um, so what I'd do is make a point that you, you talked about Taiwan's freedom versus the fact that a lot of areas where the media can be improved. I'll still point out that it's 51st in the world, mm. right? It's not Finland, which is number one, or New Zealand, which is number five, or even the United States, which is number 41, which is sort of ahead of Taiwan by 10 places. So right. Taiwan obviously still has room to improve. Mm. And secondly, I would say that the media is not perfect. Yeah. 
and Freedom House has also um, has new figures since I wrote the article. And in my the article, I said that Freedom House ranked Japan ahead of Taiwan, but in its 2016 ranking, it actually ranks Taiwan the same as Japan. Mm, so kind of tying right there. Yep. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, you know, room to improve, uh, but compare that, you know, in first in Taiwan, compare that figure uh, to the actual quality of the reporting, and it doesn't look quite so good. So uh, where's the disconnect there? Tell us a little bit about, uh, broadly speaking, some of the issues that the folks that you spoke to see uh, when they look at the quality of reporting in Taiwan. Okay, well, the common criticisms were political polarization. I'm sure mm-hmm. everyone's aware of that. Like, if you pick up the Liberty Times, it has a strong so-called pro-green line or pro-independence line. Right. China Times is pro-China. You kind of know what you're going to get as soon as you open those publications. Yes. And then self-censorship and indirect Chinese influence. Mm. And what's what's particularly interesting, as I'm sure many residents of Taiwan are already aware of this, is that very pro-DPP stations, for example, Sunli mm-hmm. um, television station, um, critics say that they have bowed to Chinese pressure. Mm. Um, yeah, Sunli sells many television dramas to China. And in 2012, uh, Sunli axed um, Big Talk News or Da Hua Xinwen, which was known for its China bashing. So I think many residents, as I said, um, I'm sure many people are aware of this, but um, DPP or so-called green-leaning stations are not exempt from this. And the the interesting thing here is, you know, people would think there's no Chinese censors that have any say over uh, what happens in Taiwan, but you kind of point out that there's a more subtle way that that influence can take shape. Yes, well, China has an enormous market and um, there's a big appetite for Taiwanese television dramas and Mm. Like suddenly makes Oshang Ju, which is sort of idol dramas aimed at young young people, mm. and um, you know to do business in China the way Chinese society is structured is you must have a good relationship with officials, otherwise it won't happen. So as a result, there have been ac- accusations from critics that suddenly has bowed to Chinese pressure. Right. So uh, quite a bit of leverage there. Uh, let's focus uh, now on sort of the shape of the market because you're saying that that's a source of problems too, just the overall uh, competitiveness, how many stations there are, uh, the amount of investment that's going into it. What, what, what kind of problems are are coming out of that? Right. Well, um, there's over 200 sort of cable and um, terrestrial television stations. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what critics said was that there's just so much competition that um, quality is frequently sacrificed. And um, the idea is to get v- viewers' attention. So right. um, one professor of journalism at um, Minchun University said that um, over the last 20 years, there's been much less investigative reporting on television. It's mm-hmm. deteriorating. It's becoming sort of entertainment. Right. We see all those car chases. We see yes. all of those internet videos of cute animals. Yes, yes. Um, and basically, it's because they're short of fun. So, you know, it's very cheap just to troll social media and come up with a picture of yeah, as you said, a video of cute animals and run that. And that would right. probably get people's attention. And in a related problem, um, nearly every foreigner I've spoken to in Taiwan who's been here for a long time talks about parochialism. Mm-hmm. And that's that's everywhere. Like, for example, the Australian media is frequently criticised for being parochial as well, but it's especially bad in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And one, again, that sort of intense competition is, right. has been cited and sort of fragmented nature of the television market. So Very focused on Taiwan, yes. not telling us about many stories outside of Taiwan. Yes, well, you, you just want to get people's attention. Yeah. Right? And then also there's Taiwan's diplomatic isolation that... Mm-hmm. Um, 
international conferences being held here, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years, things like international conferences are held here much less as China's rise. And, you know, if they have to go to one so-called China, they'll go to China. Mm. And so that's affecting um, media consumption here, that people have more parochial thinking. Right. And kind of interestingly, though, is uh, the fact that there is a huge demand for news here. News uh, remains the most popular form of television, according to your reporting. Um, so why do we see so much market fragmentation? Why, why, why is this a problem at all? I mean, if, if the demand is there, shouldn't it be easy to make good news programming? I think how it works here is that television um, penetration's over 80%. It's very high. So a very, very, you know, over 80% of Taiwanese watch television daily. Mm. And there's a very strong appetite for news. So there's no incentive for any players to drop out of the race mm. or consolidate. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, there's no real incentive for them to sort of spend more on quality programming. Mm. Yeah, some people have, some academics have proposed that Taiwan's public television system, PTS, which was established in 1998, um, should should be upgraded. There should be more government funding for it. Mm. So um, it can offer an alternative to the commercial stations. And their vision is for PTS to become like the BBC. Mm. And in Britain, the BBC occupies a very large um, market share for the news. And it's also a trendsetter. And produces innovative programs, innovative documentaries, innovative dramas. And um, it sort of can lead the way. Mm. I mean, and, that's that's a nice vision, but that would be a long ways off. Yeah, well, my understanding is that all these legal restrictions and regulatory restrictions which prevent PTS from receiving more funding, mm-hmm. even if there was more popular support. And one thing particular to Taiwan, which probably doesn't exist in Britain, is that this is once an authoritarian society and the government controlled the media. Mm. So I think even the prospect of government intervention in the media in a healthy way wouldn't be so welcome as it would be in other countries. Right. So one solution that may be a little difficult to broach. Yeah. I kind of want to move now to another conundrum that your article raises, that being the fact that on the one hand, we've already kind of hinted at this a little bit, uh, a lot of Folks in Taiwan are very worried about uh, the influence of Chinese companies and Chinese media on the media system here in Taiwan. And because of that, there are lots of restrictions on who can invest in what, uh, you know, whether or not Taiwanese media organizations can be owned by Chinese companies. And we've seen examples of that in the last couple of years. But then on the other hand, uh, you're kind of pointing out that uh, some of these restrictions prevent some moves, some evolution uh, that might help reform the media mix here. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. Well, as most residents of Taiwan probably know, um, there were lots of student protests after a consortium um, tried to buy Apple Daily. And one member of the consortium was the son of Tsai Ming, who owns the pro-Beijing China Times. And that caused Jimmy Lai, the owner of Apple Daily, to change his mind and say it wasn't for sale after all. Um, Apple Daily being Taiwan's most... One outspoken, one of Taiwan's most outspoken newspapers. Now, these student protests also led to calls for anti-media monopoly legislation. And in early 2013, um, Cabinet approved a draft bill, which has since been stalled in the Legislative Yuan. But another interesting thing is that the DPP um, mm. at the time also proposed a bill calling for the separation of um, media ownership and media distribution to, to prevent a sort of concentration of power. Mm. So that would be getting at some of the regula- regulations that we're talking about here. Yes. 
No, the, the DPP's draft bill calls for, a se- calls for a separation of ownership of media content and distribution to prevent a concentration of media power. Mm. Um, I don't think that affects big media companies throughout the world. Um, what it means is that um, whoever's pri- providing content mm-hmm. will not be allowed to distribute it as well. So they're sort of mm. separate. Yeah. But with technology change, the trend of digital convergence, that might not be possible. So, in other words, the DPP's legislation would be hindering the sort of develop, developments in technology with the media. All right. Well, uh, let's move to our, our, our final topic here and kind of take a look at uh, almost, I guess, a hopeful note in a way uh, that your article raises. The possibility that uh, in some ways Taiwan could become uh, something of a leader in Chinese uh, reporting and uh, journalism around the world. Uh, number of media organizations that you spoke to, uh, looks like they're trying to position themselves to have a little bit of global reach. Yes, that's true. I spoke to the um, CEOs of two startups. Um, one is um, Storm Media and the other is the News Lens. And both of them are not just thinking about Taiwan. They're using Taiwan as a base, but their dream is the greater Chinese market. Mm. The News Lens is positioning itself as um, a publication, an online publication for millennials and those under 40. And their dream is to capture, you know, the entire greater China market when just running into millions and millions and millions of people, just so much bigger than Taiwan. And um, Storm Media also wants to sort of capture the greater China market. So, um, and it was mentioned to me by a few people that Taiwan could ultimately be a a media centre for the greater Chinese market. Um, some sources who didn't want to be named told me that you know a few managing editors in Hong Kong are sort of hiring bodyguards, mm. and that the whole situation in Hong Kong recently has become very very murky. Mm. Um, Jimmy Lai, who owns um, the Apple Daily in um, Taiwan and the Apple Daily in Hong Kong, which is a very outspoken newspaper, um, his house has been firebombed by unknown masked men, as was the um, headquarters of Next Media, which owns the two papers. That's the umbrella company. So it's very murky, and under this situation, um, it's possible that more people are going to sort of look to greater China reporting as coming out of Taiwan. Um, this definitely hasn't happened yet, but um, Storm Media and Newslens have sort of very long-term vision, and they see Taiwan as a base to sort of reach out to um, Chinese people all over the world. Mm, so, you know, in some ways kind of leveraging that first at- attribute of Taiwan's media, its freeness, uh, leveraging that to become uh, more competitive with uh, all, all these other regions uh, where you know Chinese content would be consumed. Yes, that's right. Um, I think with um, foreign media, English language media, I, I, I don't know if that will happen because um, although um, China is sort of kicked out New York Times reporters and mm-hmm. um, there's been issues with Bloomberg researching on the wealth of um, China's leaders. And most recently, The Economist has been banned in China because um, of a p- picture they had of Xi Jinping on the front page. Yeah. It's sort of about personality cults, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, despite that, I think that um, the foreign media will still do what it does in China. As far as I can see, I, I don't think Taiwan will be a centre for English language media, but I think it could be a different story with Chinese language media mm. because ta- China, Taiwan has you know, a free environment for Chinese speakers which right. is increasingly shrinking in Hong Kong. Hmm. So a bit of an opportunity there, maybe a path forward. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, on that note, uh, we're going to wrap things up there. Uh, the article, once again, was Taiwan's Changing Media Landscape. You can find that in the March edition of Topics magazine out from the American Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan. 
Uh, and its author, who is with us in studio right now and we've been talking to, is once again Taiwan freelancer Jane Ricards. Jane, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for listening to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. Taiwan Talk is, of course, ICRT's weekly interview segment, bringing you conversations from and about Taiwan. You can catch the broadcast every Monday at 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. right after the top of the hour newscast. You can also find it online at the ICRT website, on iTunes, the app. Uh, We've also started posting to the ICRT blog. Please do leave a comment on the blog while you're there. We would love to hear what you thought of the show or about any of the news stories that we're covering. You know, were we too harsh on Taiwan's media? Is there something that you really like about it? Uh, We'd love to hear your perspective there. Uh, For the latest on uh, everything that ICRT is doing, you can follow us on Twitter. We tweet from at ICRT News for our new stuff. Uh, at ICRT100 for music and programming and all that good stuff. Uh, and I tweet myself, at Keith Menconi. Uh, you can get the latest on everything that's going on right on there. Uh, that is it for the show. Uh, thank you for listening. For ICRT and Taiwan Talk, I'm Keith Menconi. See you next time.